0: Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning, Epiphany Fellowship. I, uh, I greet you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I stand before you this morning uh, somber, uh, so forgive me if, um, if my emotions get the best of me. I've been trying to uh, hold it together all week and hold it together this morning as I feel the heaviness of having to bring God's word to you. Uh, I can imagine that many of you are experiencing the heaviness as well. Uh, And so I come to you just as a servant this morning, as a brother, uh, as we enter into God's word this morning to receive some hope. Amen? Amen. Why don't you do me a favor and open your Bibles to Exodus, the sixth chapter, Exodus chapter six. And we'll be reading uh, from Exodus chapter six, verses two through 13 this morning. Here's the word of the Lord. It says this. It says, then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites. Whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves and I have remembered my covenant therefore tell the Israelites I am the Lord and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment I will take you as my people and I will be your God you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians And I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. But Moses said in the presence of the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. If I could tag our text for this morning, I would simply use the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Where do we go from here? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we can only but acknowledge that we desperately need you in this moment. This has been a heavy week. This has been a trying week an emotionally and spiritually fatiguing week, oh God. To have to be re-traumatized over and over again with what we face as people of color in this country God, it's been a hard week, but you see everything that is transpiring. You are not ignorant of the evil and the injustice that exists among us. So God, just like the Israelites, we cry out to our Lord and our King because we need your aid, your assistance, your help, your wisdom in this moment. Give us strength, O God, where we are weak. Give us wisdom where there is foolishness bound in our hearts. Give us clarity of mind with how we are to move forward in ways that honor and bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Strengthen me, O God, today as a mere vessel before your people that you might give me might and courage, truth, and justice, clearness of mind, and conciseness of speech. God, I'll pray in my Christ and my Redeemer. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If I could share with you a few words from Martin Luther King, Jr., and not the selectively chosen, sanitized, words that we like to quote today, but on April 16th, 1963, as he sat alone in a jail cell, he penned these words. Lamentably, it is a historical fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have waited for more than 400 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But there comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, that you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. As Dr. King sat in that jail cell, he responded to those whom he called brothers. His brothers under the banner of Jesus Christ, who continued to call him an agitator, an aggressor, and reminded him that he needed to wait for justice and to not agitate and to not be unruly and undignified, to not protest peacefully. And just like many of us, he got tired of hearing that word, wait. Those words that we just read could have easily been written yesterday, could have easily been applied to the context of where we find ourselves currently. And yet, in many ways, it also could have been written thousands of years ago to the Israelites. And so we find ourselves in Exodus, the sixth chapter. But before we can even deal with what is transpiring in the passage of Scripture that we just read, we must know how we got there. In Exodus chapter one, Scripture tells us that there was a new king who did not know about Joseph And came to power in Egypt. And he said to his people, the Egyptians, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will continue to multiply. And if war breaks out, when war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. And so the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over Israel to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all of this work. On them. It's interesting, as we look at the context of how Israel even became to be oppressed in Egypt, we can see that the Israelites or the Egyptians feared the Israelites because they weren't like them, because they were different, and that different made them afraid. Because they were different, the Egyptians said, we can't trust them because they're different we have to make sure that we primarily are concerned about our own personal well-being and the economy of egypt and so what took place the egyptians then instituted population control they said if we can kill all of the men who are now born we can control not only the growth of israel as a people But we can also control the limitations of the leadership that's able to be developed and the soldiers that are able to be groomed and brought up and raised up over the course of time. Because they understood very well that if you take out the men, then you take out the leadership. And So what happens? God has to intervene and God raises up a man named Moses. Moses is. Story is a unique one, which I won't go into the details of all the background of Moses' story. If you want to read chapters two of Exodus through chapter four. But Moses as a person is a unique case study of who God even chooses to lead. Moses was a flawed man who had a history of violence, who was not a charismatic speaker. He was insecure. And yet God still chose to use him. And God raises up this Moses, and he gives him a divine call and and says, I want to send you back to your people. I want to send you back to Egypt. I want to send you back to the oppressive government and the oppressive rulers, and I want you to speak justice to them, and I want you to tell them that you have to let God's people go. And so Moses goes and stands before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh hears what moses has to say about the fact that he's talked to this god this yahweh this the lord and that the lord has said that he pharaoh must let the people go and pharaoh says well if they got time to go out and worship this god then they have time to do more work and look what it says in in exodus chapter 5 verses 6 through 9 it says that that day after that conversation with moses pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for themselves uh, uh, as before. They must go and gather straw themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers, or they are just being lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Instead, impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it, and they won't pay attention to the deceptive words of men like Moses that tell them that they need to be free. It's interesting how the Israelites' cries of being oppressed are ignored and minimized. How the narrative of what they're going through and what they've been through has been changed to suit the agendas of those who are in power. How then the system that they are being oppressed under is then adjusted to make it even more difficult for them and then how they are characterized as being lazy for speaking out about being oppressed. Maybe you can identify with elements of this story. Maybe you can see some of the similarities that exist in this story and the experience of many African Americans today. But the beautiful thing that we see here in Scripture is that that God himself intervenes into history. And he didn't he didn't intervene after two weeks. He didn't intervene after a month. Hear me. I I know it feels like a long time, but but eventually God intervened. And God shows up and he he, he shows up in the form of the man of Moses and and he sends Moses on his behalf as a representative to the people. And he he tells the people that that I'm going to be your God. I will bring you out of forced labor from the Egyptians. I will rescue you from slavery. I will redeem you. Look, look, look what happens throughout chapter six that we just read. And and, in verses two and three, he he reveals his covenant name to them. He says, I appeared to your ancestors, say Abraham, Isaac and, and, and Jacob as God almighty. But even they didn't know me by my name, the name that I now reveal to you as as, as Yahweh. He says they there there is an there's an element of intimacy that I'm going to share with you that they didn't even get to see that they didn't even get to experience. But not only does God uh, share his covenant name with them and remind them of the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But he also reiterates those covenant promises so that the people now remember what was told and what was promised to them in verses four and five. He says, I established my covenant with them in the land of Canaan, where they lived as, as aliens. And I have heard your groanings, Israel, and I have seen the, the work and the oppression that has been forced on you. And I remembered my covenant and he doesn't even stop there. But then God says, I he, he he goes on to now talk about how he's going to deliver them. And God makes it real personal in these next verses In verses six through eight. There are six. In these four verses, there are six or three verses. There are six I will statements of God saying that I am going to personally show up. I'm going to personally intervene. I'm going to personally step into human history to take care of the injustice, to take care of the abuse, to take care of the oppression, to take care of the evil, to take care of all that has been done to you. He says, I'm going to show up and step in and take care of it. Look what he says. says he says i will bring you out i will redeem you i will take you as my people i will be your god i will bring you to the land that i swore to you and i will give it to you do you do you see the the intimate hands-on language that god gives to the people after they've been oppressed for so long after they've experienced uh, being neglected and being unheard and being in despair and feeling like nobody's ever going to hear them, nothing's ever going to change, uh, over time being born into slavery and dying in slavery, all of you knowing is slavery and oppression. And then God shows up on the scene and he promises deliverance. He promises intervention you would expect to to receive a promise like that and to be overjoyed in your heart and to be and and, and to be excited and and uh anticipating the 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 coming of this god to your rescue and yet when we read verse nine that's not what we find taking place that's not what we find transpiring in the hearts of the people Look with me at verse nine. It says after after Moses goes to the Israelites and communicates this beautiful covenant language of what God is going to do, of how God's going to intervene. Notice the people's response says Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him. Why? Because of their broken spirit. And their hard labor or the harsh slavery that they were under you know this is an interesting response by the people given how they responded previously in chapter four when Moses and Aaron came to them the first time and did a miraculous sign before them in chapter four it says that Aaron repeated everything that the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people and the people believed And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshipped. So what changed between chapter four and chapter six? Because the message of intervention was even more pointed, was even more hands on. And yet their response was a despairing response. It's because when they heard this message of intervention and redemption they got excited and then when they experienced their oppressive uh uh uh, work being heavily placed on them even more after going through the roller coaster of an high experiencing that nature of your oppression being turned up on you sent them spiraling into despair And that despair made it difficult for them to even hear the promises of God. How many of us today are wrestling with hearing the promises of God because of the fatigue of what we're going through? Because we keep being disappointed by hope? Because we keep being disappointed by our evangelical brothers and sisters? because we keep being disappointed by police officers who are there to protect us, because we keep being disappointed by government officials that we voted into office, who turn their backs as soon as they get in there, because we've been disappointed by government policies that have not been written with us in mind. How many of us can't hear the promises of God? If I can be honest, I feel myself wrestling sometimes. Not with the hope of eternity, because I know that I serve a good God who can intervene in human history, because I know he's coming back and he will establish his kingdom and his kingdom will be righteous. His kingdom will be just. His kingdom will bring comprehensive shalom. I don't wrestle with that and I don't doubt the goodness of God. I don't doubt the saving nature of God. But I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar captured the tension in my emotions greatly as I heard him this week. When he said that sometimes i feel like i'm caught between hope and history caught between the hope of believing and knowing things can change because they can and caught between the history of knowing that there are so many in this world so many in this country that are in a positions of power that don't want things to change So the question as we, as we even see the response of the people, you know, one of the questions I began to ask myself is, how do we expect people to respond to oppression? Do we expect people to have the same responses to the weight of being oppressed systemically, sitting on them day in and day out? Do I expect people to have, to always have a godly response? when they've consistently been denied opportunities for education, opportunities for employment, when they've been constantly thrown in prison sales at massive rates. Don't hear me say I'm, I'm, I'm in condoning or, uh, or approving of, of violence or of, of ungodly response responses. But can I empathize with the plight of people who may not know Jesus, who are angry with oppression? Can I empathize with the raw emotions of even Christians who are having difficulty wrestling through the complexity of their own emotions? Do we expect people just to respond peacefully by marching and protesting? Do we expect people to respond by kneeling Do we expect people to emotionally detach from these situations because they just can't mentally deal with it any longer? Do we expect people to riot and loot? I'll be honest, I'm not angry about the riot and looting. It's not just coming from people in our communities. It is coming from people in our communities, but not just people in our communities. And don't hear me saying I'm not angry about it to say that I condone or endorse it. More than being angry, I'm discouraged by it. I'm saddened by the effects of it, both short term and long term. But what I am angry about is George Floyd having a knee driven into his neck until he died. I'm angry about Breonna Taylor sleeping peacefully in her home as police forces force themselves into the wrong house and murder her. I am angry about Ahmad Arbery taking a quiet jog until emboldened white men decided they had the authority to shoot him down. I am angry about Sandra Bland who was pulled over in what should have been a routine traffic stop and mysteriously ending up dead in police custody days later. Must I go on? I'm tired. We're all tired. And we will not wait for justice. It's interesting that Moses, similar to how many of us feel, was discouraged by the people's response. Moses didn't know what to do with their lack of joy in receiving the promises that God had told him to communicate. And look what happens. In verse 10, the Lord tells Moses to go to Pharaoh. And in verse 12, moses says well god if the people aren't going to listen to me then what makes you think that pharaoh is going to listen to me and and i love what god does here is in verse 13 it says then the lord spoke to moses and aaron and gave them commands concerning both the israelites and pharaoh king of egypt to bring the israelites out of the land of egypt I love what God does here because God sends Moses and Aaron anyway. God was working beyond their feelings. God was working beyond their lack of faith. God was working beyond their personal insecurities. Many of us may share the experience of the Israelites. You may be feeling what we're feeling, the complexity and mixed emotions. We may be feeling discouraged and unwilling to respond. And I but 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 here I want you to identify with Moses because God is looking for some Moses who are unqualified, who are insecure and who are afraid, but are willing to put their bodies and their mouths and their lives on the line to be used by him in the fight for justice. Will you be a Moses today? Will you allow your emotions to get the better of you? Or will you submit all of your doubts? Will you submit your fears? Will you submit the unknown of what the future holds to the Lord and continue to march forward in justice, march forward in righteousness? Would you allow yourself to be used by Him so that the comprehensive shalom of, of God can be brought to this situation? I know you may be angry, I know you may be feeling unheard. I know you may be unsure of what to do next, but are you willing to be used by God for whatever it is that he's called you to do to bring pre- peace and justice to his world today? You may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with the gospel? What does this have to do with Jesus, Christ who saves? Well, Jesus has much in common with Ahmad and Brianna and George and the all too long list of the many others who have been murdered unjustly. Because he, too, was unjustly murdered by a system that was built to oppress the marginalized. He, too, was rejected. And he, too, was killed publicly for all to see. But the reason that we can still have hope, brother, the reason we can still have hope, sister, is because his story doesn't end there, because he lives. There's uh, a song that many of you know, many of you are familiar with, that I've had to sing to myself on a regular basis, day after day after day. And it goes like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know that he holds the future that life is worth the living, that my life is worth the living, that black life and brown life is worth the living just because he lives. Father, we thank you for your word today. Because it's true. You've given us promises in your word. That are true despite our circumstances. And There are times, oh God, where it's difficult to receive your promises. Because of how hard. Life is. But we are not without hope. As long as Jesus Christ. Is alive and sits on the throne we have hope and so father despite the nuances and complexities of how we may feel God I pray that your people would not feel hopeless I pray that we would not feel as if there is nothing that can't be done but that this would be a time where your people the people of God would be unified to fight for what's just, to fight for what's equitable, to fight for love. So, God, we pray that you would use us, O oh God, beyond our strengths, beyond our weaknesses, beyond our insecurities, beyond our expertise, beyond our ignorance, so that we might bring your righteousness. To the forefront so that we might bring your justice to the world and so that people might know that the god of heaven is working and is active through us in the world right now today god we pray in the mighty name of jesus who is the christ amen god bless you today We thank you for joining with us, and we pray that the peace of God will rule in you mightily. God bless you. Grace and peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully, the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond